Welcome, friends. This is episode 74 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to have you here. However you're listening today, we certainly do appreciate that. Easiest way, subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, just subscribe to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. When a new episode is available, it will pop up, ready to listen for you on demand. Looking forward to chatting with Julian Wiggum today. He joins us weekly on the Syracuse Sports Podcast during Syracuse football season. Desperate times for the Syracuse football team for sure, following a brutal loss to Duke a week ago, 38-24, a game in which Duke ran for 363 yards, over 600 yards in total for Duke against Syracuse, who's now limping into a matchup with Liberty. The Orange are 1-3. They're three-point underdogs at home to Liberty. Syracuse is in a desperate situation with less than 60 scholarship players available to them, decimated by injury, including the big one. Tommy DeVito, starting quarterback, out. Their All-American safety, Andre Sisco, is out. And they're dealing with a number of key injuries. We'll talk to Julian about how Syracuse football will fight its way through that, what the 2020 season becomes if Syracuse does, in fact, lose to Liberty. Unthinkable at one time, but that's 2020 for you, right? But I want to start today with, speaking of which, Syracuse football fans are asking earlier than usual, it seems, hey, when's basketball season? Well, technically it is basketball season. The Syracuse men's basketball team started full practice on Wednesday, meaning they can have 20-hour practice weeks now. November 25th is the date to look forward to, not only for the men's team, but the women's basketball team and what will be one of their most anticipated seasons of all time. The women's basketball team starts full practice on Friday. Let's look at the men first. They're certainly going to have one of the best backcourts in the ACC with Joe Girard III, the three-point sniper, and Buddy Beheim, who can make a few threes himself. One of the best three-point combinations in the ACC. Joe and Buddy will be amongst the league leaders in minutes in the ACC, and they're simply going to be one of the best guard combinations out there. It's going to be interesting to see the evolution of Joe's game and Buddy's all-around game as well. When you put Joe and Buddy at the top of the zone defense, it still can be a weakness, not as long as some of those previous guard combinations that we have seen. So we'll see if Joe and Buddy can improve on the defensive end this season. There's a freshman in Kadari Richmond who's getting a lot of buzz at practice, a lot of buzz in the preseason, and is going to push Jim Beheim for playing time. Joe and Buddy, as mentioned, are going to be at the top of the ACC in terms of minutes played. But Richmond is going to find his way onto the court. Alan Griffin is a big name to remember, not just the assistant coach for Syracuse basketball, the transfer that came in from Illinois. Now, is he Elijah Hughes as a clone? Not exactly, but he's going to fill that wing role that Elijah Hughes played. Griffin can play guard, he can play forward, and important for Syracuse, he can hit the three-point shot. Syracuse needs somebody to do that to replace Elijah Hughes in the lineup, but Griffin's got an all-around game. He can get to the basket, he can defend, and Syracuse is looking forward to slotting him right in to where Elijah Hughes would be. Hughes awaiting his name being called in the NBA draft, which seemingly keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed, but he was in line to be maybe a late first round, early second round pick coming up. Marek Doljai and Barama Sidibe are back as seniors. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do as seniors as much as anybody. 
Big problem with Marek and Barama a year ago, of course, was foul trouble, but that's something we started to see dissipate a little bit at the end of last year. If they can keep the fouls down, and they're going to need to because they're going to need the, their leadership, their defensive prowess, their hustle out on the court this year, look for Marek and Barama to take big steps forward for the Orange. Another freshman that's gotten a lot of attention is Frank Anselm. Anselm, a 6'10 freshman, could be the backup center this year behind Barama Sidibe. There's some other big names out there like Robert Braswell, John Bullajock, but Anselm looks like he's going to nudge his way into Jim Beheim's rotation, which is certainly no easy task, certainly for a freshman. Of course, there's Quincy Garrier, who showed flashes of the big man he could be. Remember, he had off-season surgery that he's recovering from as well, but if he grows into his body... And if he can be more consistent, particularly on the rebounding front, Syracuse could have one of the most improved players in the ACC. All told, it's a Syracuse team that's got five key contributors back and some talented freshmen ready to step in. Now on the women's side, this could be the most anticipated season that Quinton Helsman has had in his 15 years as head coach at Syracuse. And it starts with the best backcourt, potentially, in women's college basketball. The return of Tiana Mangakaihia to go with Kiara Lewis. Lewis stepped in for Mangakaihia, who was recovering from breast cancer treatments last season. All Lewis did was score 17.6 points per game and become an all-ACC contributor. She'll slide over to the two-spot for Tiana to run the point. Both can shoot, both can score, and both can run the team. What a great problem to have for Coach Q in that backcourt to see how that is going to settle in. Syracuse is number 23 in ESPN's preseason top 25 poll. They get four starters back and players like Emily Angsler. Just under 10 rebounds per game, 50 block shots last year. Camilla Cardozo is getting a lot of buzz as one of the top-rated players in the country and the number one player coming in at her position, center. There's balance there on Coach Q's team with that backcourt, the forwards, and the center, and a deep bench. You'd be wise to keep as close an eye on the women's team as you do the men's team. It's just good to be talking basketball, right? So we know things begin on November 25th as we speak. Neither the men's or the women's team has a schedule to play upcoming. We know they'll play less non-conference games in a full ACC slate. As we've learned to do here in 2020, you got to go with the flow. And we'll take what we can get when it comes to Syracuse basketball. Especially with the football team looking less and less relevant by the day. Speaking of that football team, how are they going to fix things after a brutal beating at the hands of Duke a week ago? Let's see if Julian Wiggum, a former Orangeman who joins us here weekly on the Syracuse Sports Podcast, has the answers. Julian, I, I will begin our conversation this week by simply asking this question. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was watching the game. I was asking myself the, the same question. Well, what's happening? Um, you know, it, there was a little bit of an oversight, you know, on my part. Um I looked past Georgia Tech rushing the ball last week or two, for 275 yards. And, I mean, they, Syracuse ended up winning the game, and, that, and you kind of brush over those things sometimes, you know, seeing the win and not seeing, you know, some of the issues that were inside of that win. But Duke saw it on tape and took advantage, and they found a way to win the game themselves. Uh, inside run game, gap integrity was not there this week. And – Duke figured that out in the first quarter and ran with it. The issue that I noticed about mid-game was they were only playing about four to five guys in the box. And when you do that, one, it, it does give you some flexibility on the back end trying to mix things up. And that probably uh, lends itself to all the turnovers they've created, confusing quarterbacks. But on the grounds, 
you get past that first level, you've got all sorts of daylight in front of you. And, and Duke took advantage to the fullest. Uh, you've got to have guys plug up those gaps um, and, and on the inside because otherwise teams are going to take advantage and they won't need to throw the ball. Duke didn't need to throw the ball this week. And uh, that's how we saw fall, Syracuse fall apart. And we've seen this kind of game before, you know, Boston College a few years ago, uh, Wake Forest won this way a few years ago. Uh, and it's really frustrating to watch when you, when you lose on the ground because it feels like you can do nothing to stop it. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw you tweet that during the game. Did you see any adjustments made in the second half? And does, from what you know about the three-three-five, does it allow for some adjustments to, to stop those inside gaps? Because I think the most startling thing to the Duke game, you brought up, you know, Georgia Tech had rushed for five and a half yards of carry. Pittsburgh was okay on the ground. North Carolina is just a good running team in general. They did it against Virginia Tech this past week. So there was a, a pattern there, Julian. But Duke in particular, they just ran it right up the gut. Yeah. There was nothing special here. They just went right at Syracuse and found that inside gap every time. So what was the adjustment you saw in the Duke game, if at all? What's the adjustment now uh, going forward? Yeah, so especially start with how this defense is structured. And three three five. we kind of – we always think about it as a stack, the, the you know, the base stack formation, but there's a lot of variations to it. And one of the benefits, at least in the run game, if you have undersized linemen, is the idea like schematically is that those guys line up head up on against the offensive linemen that way that that offensive lineman does not know which gap that that defensive lineman is responsible for. So he, can, he has a two-way go. He can go inside, go outside, and that lineman has the weight on him. And the thought process then becomes, well, if that lineman can get to his gap first, we can fill it with a linebacker or another lineman that's in that next gap. So the idea is by giving us the flexibility to line those guys up, head up against offensive linemen, we can then plug up the rest of those gaps with linebackers and other linemen on the, on the defensive front. And then that's how we'd stop the run. Um, but the issue was that there wasn't enough guys up front in this game against Duke. And I was seeing about four or five different uh, sets where they were only having four or five guys in the box. I'm like, mm, that should probably be closer to six to seven. Uh, just based on what Syracuse has, talent level, um, the size they have. And the second half adjustment, I did see that. They started to put some guys uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. They started to squeeze in their safeties a little bit more uh, to break to the uh, to get to the outside. But still, the run game, like I think offensive line for Duke had already gotten confident. They kind of had seen – that's the other thing with the adjustment. Even though you may add adjustment, the offensive line, these smart guys, they can they adjust too. And if they've seen something, they can uh, uh, they can anticipate your counter to it. So I don't think that whatever Syracuse brought, I think Duke kind of knew what was coming in the second half, and they were able to continue uh, with their game plan, rushing the football towards the inside. Uh, but as a defense, yeah, I think – and this is a good week for Liberty uh, coming up. Uh, you, you've got to work on your gap integrity by bringing more linebackers, uh, thinking about having more safeties close to the line of scrimmage. And that's where it hurts not having Cisco anymore you want to have a little bit more as much size as possible getting close to that line of scrimmage and uh there was another question on twitter talking about got why are our our um our corners playing so far back and they're getting there because it was all quick game and my thought of being in a shape for defense was press it that's the most natural way to get rid of quick game um but this defense seemed to be we want to get guys close to the line and then back them out into zones to create 
more turnovers to confuse a quarterback, make him think we're coming, and then fill in those gaps underneath with linebackers and safeties. And uh, that seems to be the philosophy of this defense, kind of trying to show different things. But um, unfortunately, trying to show when you're trying to show too much, you, sometimes you can give up a lot too. Uh, there's, there's a phrase that I'm, I cannot remember right now. But the uh, point being is trying to show too much, sometimes you'll give up uh, more than you want to. And um, I think that's what happened to Syracuse's defense last Saturday. Well, what makes it more interesting this week, Julian, is Liberty brings, I think, one of the best emerging dual-threat quarterbacks in the country right now in Malik Willis. He's actually the 16th leading rusher in the country as a quarterback. I mean, this kid will take off and run. Joshua Mack, their uh, lead back, he's the 12th leading rusher in the country. It's interesting because Liberty, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, they scored 27 of their 40 points on special teams last week. So the punter for Louisiana Monroe dropped one in the end zone. Liberty hops on a touchdown. Liberty blocks a punt, hops on it, touchdown, and then returned a punt for a touchdown. And it was one kid, Treyon Sibley, who was involved in all three of those plays. So tack on. (laughs) It's incredible. I've never heard of this. And then tack on two field goals. They score 27 of 40 points on special teams. Well, you're not going to repeat that against Syracuse, right? So the interesting thing is, as good as Willis is, he's battling a little bit of an elbow injury right now. Last week, Josh Mack, for some reason, Hugh Freeze, the head coach there. Now you're going to play him against Syracuse. You're not going to repeat this, but there was some sort of coach's decision. The way that Hugh Freeze phrased it was, uh, he was not meeting my standards, which is coach speak for something happened at practice, something happened off yeah. the field. So Mac yeah. did play, but he only had 22 yards last week. So the irony is that Liberty's two best rushers are coming into this game, maybe not having their best game against mm-hmm. a bad team, and special teams took care of business for them. So Look, as good as Liberty is in spots, their wide receiver, DJ Stubbs, he's an NFL prospect. He's really good. Look, Julian, they don't have a full contingent of F- uh, FBS players yet. Like, as, right. as you were saying, we, we do a little television show during the week together on News Channel 9 called Orange Nation. And you said it then. You'll say it again here, I'm sure. Look, you can't lose to Liberty. No matter what yeah. Syracuse's injury status is, as we'll get to here and how they'll replace Rex Culpepper. But bottom line, you got to beat this team. Right. And, well, my, and our reason for saying that is, like, like you mentioned, Syracuse has too much talent. They're just a more talented team than Liberty. They should be able to play we're better than you defense and we're better than you offense and win the game off of that. No scheme, no strategy, just man defense, throw the ball deep and win the game. That's how it should go if you're Syracuse. There's no losing to Liberty. At some point, player pride, whether you're a freshman, a senior, whoever you are, your pride should kick in and say, I'm just better than the guy across from me, no matter what he does. There should be no scheme that a coach can come up with. There should be no blitz packages that defensive coordinator can think of. No strange plays. None of that should be able to work on you because you're just a faster, stronger, bigger athlete than whatever Liberty was able to recruit. If Liberty tried to recruit any guy at Syracuse, they would have laughed and said no, or at least I, I would hope so. You know, so, yeah, I don't they, – they shouldn't lose this game. Um, they're t- more talented across the board. But it's, it's a matter of – and if they were to lose, it would be, one, because they did not pay attention to their own game plan. And I would begin to question everything going on inside of that building. Injuries aside, that's a problem. You cannot lose to a team that much uh, less talented, you know. And so, uh, despite what kind of talent Liberty may have and – 
the running backs that they may have and whatever they've done on special teams. It sounds like they're really well coached on special teams. Um, being really well coached on special teams shouldn't change games if you're sick, at least for a liberty. It shouldn't change the game for you. They may get a play here or there, but that shouldn't you know, influence the game in a way that you could lose. So um, if I'm Syracuse, I'm sticking to my game plan, whatever that may be. But on the other side of that, I treat this like a practice week where I'm emphasizing, because this is going to lay the groundwork for the rest of the season. I am emphasizing gap integrity on defense because every single team has seen the Georgia Tech tape. They've seen the Duke tape, and they're going to try to do the exact same thing because they know that's a weakness that's hard to fix. It's hard to fix during the year because you don't get stronger during the season you may i mean your lineman may you know add 10 pounds to defense but you're not getting physically bigger and stronger during the season you have to find a way schematically to fill those gaps and it's hard to do over the course of a week and it's hard to do over the course of two three weeks so teams are going to keep trying trying you in that middle to see how much integrity you have and they've got to find a way to plug those gaps up because that's where liberty's going they know liberty knows they're not better than syracuse they know in any circumstance, if they were to line up their team and line up Syracuse team, Syracuse team is going to lift more, run faster in every category. So they're going to try to go with the same game plan, rushing the football, hoping the play actually passes there. And Syracuse needs to come out with a game plan that's willing to shut down the run and then be the defense that they are. On the offensive side of the ball, Syracuse, Culpepper has to find a way to get the deep ball going. We know that, you know, the offensive line isn't there, but the deep ball has been saving Syracuse all year long. And this is a game where it truly can. And that connection should be established this week against weaker corners on that Liberty defensive side. Of the well, and that's where I feel I'm going to disagree with you slightly. And you brought it up. This team has been ravaged by injury. This is incredible to see the number of injuries. You brought up Cisco, of course, Tommy DeVito, we know likely out for the season. Sean Tucker was banged up last week. Uh, there's all told about 13 players that were expected to be contributors around that two deep that either didn't play against Duke or left that game, you know, with some owies, as Dino Babers would put it. So this is a banged up team. Where I'm going to disagree with you slightly is I think Rex Culpepper's better suited. And I know I've been banging this drum all year, but you use the tight ends, you use the slant routes. Now, what Duke did last week, you brought it up. I think Duke took away that element from Syracuse's passing game. I think they went deep a lot last week because they had to. I think Duke took away a lot of what Syracuse was trying to do there. Short of Luke Benson had a 53-yard touchdown catch and run, and he is so good in the catch and run game. But for the most part, I think Tommy DeVito was going deep because he had to. And, and that plagued Syracuse, to add to that conversation, Julian, a lot of drops, too many drops on the field last week. I didn't put last week on DeVito even before he got hurt. So as you said, with Liberty, you can hit the short routes. You can get that passing game going. I don't know what Syracuse can do to get the running game going if Tucker is not 100%. It's just one of those things where you got to go back to what you are and what Syracuse's offense is, is, is a passing game that is essentially a running game when it's at its best here. So what's the element there, though, with Culpepper? Because you can't go beyond him, at least for a few weeks, right? Dylan Markowitz, Jacobian Morgan, David Summer, these guys aren't getting reps at practice. You can't throw them out there in this situation. And then you play Clemson. I mean, you're not putting any of those guys out there against Clemson, right? So, I mean, right. Rex Culpepper is kind of the sacrificial lamb, if you will. You get, But he's the most yeah. experienced guy and the most capable player for now before you start looking to the future. Yeah, so there's, there's a little bit of uh, comfort going with – I think Rex is a senior at this point, right? So he knows the offense. He's been there. You know, he's had Babers his entire four or five years or so. 
he knows the offense and he knows exactly which pass plays should serve as runs and he knows where to go with the football in certain times. If your offensive line's giving up, you know, allowing blitzes to get through, you're not going to have that much time. You know the ball needs to get out in this amount of time. You know which hot routes. You Like, he understands this offense to a point where he should be able to get the ball. And I, you're right. Teams, once they realize that you are struggling to complete short game, they're going to try to force you to throw the ball over time. Because I think – I forget what the percentage was. Our DB coaches say it all the time. It was like a fade route is – like it has a somewhere between 13 and 15% completion percentage, right? It's, it's really low and coaches don't like to, to throw it. They don't want to, unless they're going to take a shot one-on-one. They think their guy is better. They don't game plan for it very often. So when you see it a lot, either a, the offense is playing, we're better than you offense taking the corners. is not good. Or B there, something's being taken away underneath and they have to make those throws. So you're right. I think it was B last week where those throws, uh, underneath were taken away. And I think, again, that Liberty defense is probably going to try to do the same thing. Um, but that kind of shifts this conversation to uh, the talent level, that receiver. And I've kind of grown used to the Irv Phillips being in the slide, a Brizzly Steen being in the slide, and then having an Ambata Tawa or um, a Steve Ishman outside that was able to make plays for their quarterback and against defenses even if the ball wasn't necessarily where it should be, but they had so much ability to create separation that it was easy no matter what the defense was throwing at them. Uh, those option routes were really good for dungeon those guys. We're not seeing that anymore. Um, and I think that's one of the receivers not creating separation. When I see drops, that's my first indicator that level of talent at receiver is not where it should be because uh, one, um, Syrac- Syracuse shouldn't be having receivers dropping footballs. And I only say that because – the receiver should be the easiest position for Syracuse to recruit. If you, all you had to do is send an 18 year old, the stat lines of Steve Ishmael and all those guys, 10 receptions, 170 yards, two touchdowns, he'll fill in his NFL hopes and dreams with that right there. And that should create the competition level at receiver to want those top jobs. There shouldn't be drops that that shouldn't be happening. So I, I don't think that the Syracuse uh, uh, receiver, Corps is as talented as it used to be. Um, I think that's contributing to the issue um, in the passing game, especially underneath creating separation. Um, and then in the deep passing game, the drops obviously are hurting. So um, with my thinking is, you're right, it may go to the tight ends a little bit more. Those are shorter passes, may become more swing passes. It may be more screen passes. Um, but they've got to find a way to make this game easier on themselves. And that's obviously short passing game, but, you know, defenses know that too. And they're going to start bringing, you know, their pressure up. So you've got to find the balance between completing the deep ball, catching it, and then getting back to your game plan in that dink and dunk game. And I think Cole Pepper, the quarterback, suited to do it. It's just a matter of execution. Julian, this may be a conversation as we go through the year about looking ahead to 2021. If the injuries keep piling up and, This team keeps going the way that they are. But in the short term, in the meantime, you can't lose to Liberty. So we'll see what happens Saturday. We'll meet back here next week on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And it'll be Clemson week one way or the other. So uh, that should be interesting no matter how uh, Saturday turns out. Thank you as always, my friend. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm it off. Catch you later, Brian. Thanks for listening to episode 74 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Thanks to our guest, Julian Wiggum, as well. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes so you can listen on demand when you want. My name is Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.